You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good. It is so good, as my wife Sam just said, to see so many familiar faces, so many new faces. What a beautiful thing to get the church out of the building this morning and into the community. Amen? Well, we're in a series right now uh, called Soul Work, Caring for the Most Important Part of You. And so if you're joining us for the first time, this is a great week to jump in. We're in week three. And I want to begin by telling you about a woman named Madeline J. Madeline J. was born in 1920 with cerebral palsy, and she was also born blind. And she grew up to be an incredibly, incredibly intelligent woman, read tons of books, stunned people with her brilliance, and was just incredible. And uh, in, when she was 60 years old in 1980, she was entered into St. Benedict's Hospital for some care. And the neurologist that was in charge of her care was just astonished by how smart she was. I mean, just blown away. He said, man, you must, have, you must be really, really good at reading Braille to have all of this knowledge. And she said, no, I, I've, I've never read a word of Braille in my life. In fact, I've never done anything with my hands at all. In fact, she called her hands these godforsaken, useless uh, lumps of dough. She had never done anything with her hands, never bathed herself, never gone to the bathroom, never washed herself, never fed herself, never used nothing. She had never done anything with her hands. And the neurologist was really confused by this. Because although CP impacts the hands, it doesn't usually render them useless like that. And so he began a little experiment with Madeline. And keep in mind, this was 1980. This might be a little ethical to do, unethical to do this today. But he, uh, he would have the nurses, when they bring her food, set the food just outside of her reach. And she would begin to get hungry, and she would start reaching for the food, kind of feeling around, trying to find it. And eventually... She was able to find a bagel and for the first time in her life, feed herself with her hands. And what the doctor began to realize is that the reason she couldn't use her hands was not because they were useless. It was because they were unused. For her whole life, everything had been done for her. Everything had been set in front of her, whether it was feeding or bathing or whatnot, everything had been done for her. Her her hands were not useless. They were simply unused. And she progressed rapidly from that moment, learning to feed herself and use the bathroom. But even more than that, learning to sculpt art and became known as the sculptress of St. Benedict's. This incredible story. And, And I just wonder for some of us, if we actually treat prayer the exact same way that Madeline treated her hands. That for our whole lives, maybe we have viewed prayer as this kind of useless thing when in fact it's actually just kind of unused in our lives. Like maybe you've thought about prayer, like does it really make a difference? Can it actually change anything? 
Can it influence anything in my life or is it just kind of this useless thing? And the question I want to ask us today is what is the posture of your hands when it comes to prayer? Is it useless in your life or is it just unused? Because Jesus made a lot of really bold promises about prayer when he was here doing his ministry on earth. And I want to look today at, at one of his boldest, found in John chapter 16, verse 23. I would say the words will be on the screen, but we don't have a screen. So you can pull out your phone if you want, or if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 16, uh, verse 23. And as we go into there, just to set the stage for you, this is nearing the end of Jesus' life, ministry. His, he's in Jerusalem, and his eyes are turned towards the cross and the sacrifice he's about to make. And he's having these conversations with his closest friends, his closest followers. And this is what he says to them in this moment. He says, In that day, you will ask nothing of me. He's speaking of the day that he resurrects and ascends into heaven. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. You see, his disciples were used to coming to him directly and making their requests and asking for things. But he says this, Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. What is the posture of your hands when it comes to prayer? As I observe in our community, I wonder if there's some of us who are here this morning who, who actually don't know how to pray, right? And so, so we come to God with a desire to have open hands, but two minutes in, our hands are filled with our phone, distractions, breaking up kids from, you know, biting each other and burning the house down. That's a picture of my life right now, <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe you come to God in prayer and, and your, your hands are just occupied. The moment you get in, you get distracted, you're on social media and you can't find more than two minutes to just be with him. You know, Jesus' disciples, when they asked Jesus about prayer, they asked Jesus how to pray, like how to go to the Father and pray. Like middle school boys with B.O. and braces asking Jesus how to talk to girls is what that kind of reminds me of, right? Like, how do we pray? Maybe your hands are preoccupied. Maybe that's not it for you, though. Maybe, maybe when it comes to prayer, you don't always know what to pray. And so your hands coming to prayer are really shaky. Like, is it okay to ask for this? What do people think of me? If, if I can be honest about our church, this is one of the things I've observed is that there's a real timidness when it comes to prayer. Like we come to God with these shaky hands wondering, is it okay to ask these things? What will people think of me? Is it okay to pray for myself? Do I only have to pray for my neighbor? Is it okay to pray for spiritual things or physical things like a car and a house? And so we don't pray and we just have kind of a timidness and a shaky hand when it comes to prayer. But I think perhaps the most important one of all, and this is the one that I think informs the others, is perhaps we don't know why we pray. We don't know why we pray. And so we walk through this life with closed fists, closed hands. And we just assume that the world is already set, that what's going to happen is going to happen, and that prayer actually can't change anything or make a real difference in any of our lives. 
And I think the problem with that mentality is that this book is just chopped full of person after person after person who really genuinely believe, like real people with real life issues, just like yours and mine, who really believe prayer had the power to change absolutely everything. I think of Paul, who refers to us as co-laborers with God, that our prayers actually can help direct and set the course of this world, that they can make a real difference as we contend with and work with God to determine this world. I think of people like Moses who prayed boldly because he believed his prayers could actually change God's mind and change this world. In fact, we see God changing his mind according to his unfailing love in response to his people's prayers. And yet the promise here that Jesus makes is whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do for you. Whatever you ask in my name. Now, in our world, you can often tell how important someone is or how important they think they are by how many people you have to get through to get to them, right? Like, if you want to get on the phone with Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, that's going to take a few layers, right? Like, you can't even get on the phone with a real person at Amazon, much less Jeff Bezos. But let's say you're calling him. Let's say you're trying to get him on the phone. Can you imagine how many layers of people that you would have to go to and go through to get to him? Like, you'd have to get the operator of Amazon, which would be hard enough. And then maybe the front desk at headquarters. And then maybe the main office suite receptionist. And then the secretary. And then the personal assistant, if you're lucky. Let's face it, you ain't getting to Bezos on the phone. Your, your, hand's gonna be, or your phone's gonna be in your hand for quite some time. And the disciples lived in a world where this was the dominant view of access to God. That there was layer upon layer and ritual upon ritual and religious practice upon religious practice and law upon law that was layered for them to be able to access God. And yet, how would that scenario change if you were best friends with Jeff Bezos' son? That would change the conversation a little bit, wouldn't it? You'd have a different type of access to get to him. And this is exactly what Jesus is after. I remember, I remember as a kid, my dad actually, he owned a, a men's clothing store. His family did. And so I was, I mean, this was like height of 90s fashion, amazingness, right? I, I loved it. And uh, those of you who know me, that's no surprise, right? So I'm this six, seven-year-old kid strutting through my dad's men's clothing store like I own the place because I was the owner's son, right? And so I get to have special privileges that other kids in the store couldn't have, like go in the back break room and, and shoot the basket with the employees and eat all the donuts that were there. I got to go behind the cash wrap and, you know, press all the buttons on the cash register. And I mean, literally, I pressed all the buttons, in every way possible, right? All of this access because I was the owner's son. And guys, this is what Jesus is getting at here in John 16. He's saying, maybe you have this history with religion where you have a view of God that is just layer upon layer. Maybe you viewed God as 
purely and only just a judge or just a king, and he is those things, but you haven't actually viewed God or approached him as a loving father that you can go to directly. You see, when God created us, like if you go back to the very beginning of the story, when God created us, he created us to live under his rule and to reign on this earth, to be rulers of this earth, to go out and subdue it and steward it. He created us with direct communion with him, walking side by side, living underneath his rule, living underneath his reign and going out into this world and making something beautiful of it. We talked about this earlier this year. He gave us agency. He gave us dignity. He gave us authority in this world. It's how you were created. It was the very mandate that Adam and Eve were given when they were created. And yet who stole that authority from them? A serpent, Satan, at a tree, in a garden. He stole it. He usurped the role that God gave us as human beings and took that role onto himself and is actually described multiple times in the New Testament as the ruler of this world. Do you know that's how the Bible describes Satan, the ruler of this world? That he took our role. That he took the role that God intended for us and he became ruler over this world, over us, over our families and our communities. And communication between us and God because of that was broken, it was fractured, it was severed. In John, 1 John 5.19, John says this about Satan. He says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In that very same chapter, John 16, that we're in right now, Jesus describes Satan as a ruler of this world who will be judged. And yet I think a lot of us go through this life thinking, I can either give reign and rule of my life to God, or I can keep that for myself. And that's not biblical theology at all. Like according to the Bible, Anything that is not surrendered to God to rule and to reign in our lives is actually still the dominion of Satan. And so what does that have to do with prayer? Well, if I can be so bold and go so far as to say, Satan has rule over the areas of your life that you are not bringing to God in prayer. Let me say that again. Like if you're taking notes, write that down. Satan still has rule over the areas of your life that you are not bringing to God with open hands in prayer, those areas where we have shaky hands or distracted hands or closed hands or maybe hands of indifference, the areas of our life that we are not bringing to God in prayer are still ruled by Satan. And so what if prayer is not just useless in your life? What if it is simply unused? I want you to think about your own life right now. What areas of your life are you not bringing to God in prayer? Maybe you're here and you've never prayed before. It just seems weird, like this weird thing that Christians do. What areas of your life are you not bringing to God in prayer regularly and boldly and consistently? Let me ask that another way. What areas of your life just feel fractured and messed up and broken? Like maybe even on Father's Day here, it brings a lot of that up for you. It stirs a lot of stuff up for you. 
Like to call God a father, which is what Jesus calls God in this passage here, to call God a father, to hear him referred to simply as a father, just brings up all kinds of just junk for you. Memories of an abusive father. Memories of an absent father. Memories of a critical father. And yet Jesus is saying here, like, God is an intimately invested, loving father who delights in hearing from his sons and his daughters. That if you are in Christ, that is your primary identity. Even as we're sitting in the park here, I just began to think in preparation for the sermon, what feels broken in our community? Like what feels broken in Wayland, in Hopkins, in Dora? I met people from all of those areas even here today this morning. What feels broken in your neighborhood, in your community? Is there a pandemic of fatherlessness in the community that you're in, in your neighborhood? Are there rates and levels of addictions that are just destroying your family? Are there broken marriages? Are there financial pains? I think all of that is at play in a community like ours as I think about what's broken, what's fractured, what is, what is under the rule and dominion of Satan even in our community. Friends, prayer is not useless. It's simply unused. And as I think about the, God, the way God chose to repair this world, the way God chose to mend this broken communication gap between us and him, where so much of our world as a result is just fractured and broken and rippled out, none of us need convincing of that. It's just broken. It's just messed up. And the way that God chose to mend it is to send a mediator, an intercessor, a go-between, one who had feet in both worlds, who could come as fully God and fully man, live a perfect life, show us what it looks like to live in perfect communion with God once again, basically be the human being that we could not be, no matter how hard we tried. He, he sent Jesus to, to mend this communication gap, who, who gave us the gift of praying in his name. Now, do you know how powerful it is that Jesus would say, you can pray in my name? Like, do you know how bold of a statement that is? What he's saying here is that you, you, I am giving you this gift of being able to pray in my name, which means that you are able to pray with my authority. You're able to pray under my authority, which means that your prayers, like when you go to the Father in prayer, in Jesus' name, they can shake and they can move the foundations of heaven and earth. They can move the heart of God to action. That, that praying in Jesus' name isn't just a tagline that we kind of tack on for good measure at the end of a prayer. Praying in Jesus' name is a posture through which we move through this world. And reclaim the authority that God gave us to have in the first place. That, friends, is why we pray. Prayer is the means by which we can rule and manage and intercede on behalf of this world. Do you understand how loving it was and is of God to give us that gift? To give us the gift of being able to bring anything and everything to him in prayer. You know, I've learned a lot about prayer from people in this community. So many incredible prayers in this community. 
One that constantly comes to mind for me is uh, Tim Timmerman, who's, who's over here. And I gave Tim a fair warning that I was going to um, critique his prayers in front of everybody. No, I'm not, not doing that. Uh, but Tim is just, man, if you've ever been prayed for with, by him or prayed with him, you know that he has a prayer that carries authority and carries weight. Same thing with his wife, Laura. And one of the things I love about the way specifically that Tim prays, and I've noticed this because I prayed with him a lot, is Tim always opens his prayers in Jesus' name. Right before saying anything else, he is claiming the authority that Jesus won for him on a cross. He is claiming the authority that is already his because of Jesus, an authority that allows us to go directly to the Father, to not have people in between or layers of religion or layers of pretense, but to go and bring anything and everything we have to the Father and invite him to mend it and to heal it and to work in it. Jesus invites us to come to his Father with a shameless audacity. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. A shameless audacity that bugs and knocks and even borderline pesters God like a father being bugged in the middle of the night. But his point is your prayers don't bother God at all. But you should go at God with a persistence in prayer that that would bother any earthly father all day long. You see, I just, I wrote down some of the promises that Jesus made about prayer. In Luke 11, he says, again, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up, get up and give you as much as you need. In that same passage, he says, knock and seek and the door will be open. You just keep knocking in prayer. In Mark 11, he says, whatever you have asked for in prayer, believe that you will receive it and it will be yours. John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And dozens and dozens and dozens more times, there are promise after promise after promise about what God will do in prayer. But perhaps the question on so many of our minds this morning is why doesn't it seem to work? Why doesn't it seem to work? Why does the job still fall through? Why does the marriage still fall apart? Why does the lost loved one still pass away? Why, does, uh, why doesn't it seem to work? Like, like I've read these verses and think to God, like, have you seen these gas prices? Where's my Tesla? I would love a Tesla right about now. Why doesn't it seem to work? Because here's the kicker. This is, this is the absolute kicker that is easy to miss if we're not looking for it. God will never give us his power for our own purposes. He'll never give us his own power for our own agenda. And he'll never ask us to live out his agenda on our own power. He won't do it. It's not his character. And so to pray in Jesus' name before anything else is not just about bringing a laundry list of things to him and God granting them like a vending machine or like a a magic genie. To pray in Jesus' name means that his agenda first and foremost becomes my agenda. His desires become my desires. His heart becomes my heart. His eyes become my eyes. That I begin as I cultivate this relationship with the Father, that his entire existence becomes mine, that we are one in heart and one in mind. It's kind of like, do you ever have any of those people in your life that the only time you ever hear from them is when you need something or when they need something or want something? 
Those are really challenging people, aren't they? <laughs> God doesn't want that kind of relationship with us in prayer. He wants one, even before we bring our stuff to him, that says, I want to know you. I want to become like you. I want to foster relationship with you. And the beauty about the way Jesus invites us into prayer is that you don't have to have it all figured out. Like you don't have to learn how to see with his eyes before you go to God in prayer. You don't have to learn how to have his desires become your desires before you go to God in prayer. It is prayer that is the means by which that happens. That's the invitation of Jesus. It's prayer that makes that happen in our lives. If you want prayer to have authority in your life, it always begins with aligning your heart with God's. Always. Every single time. Not a distant, remote, abusive, uninterested father, but a loving, invested, intimately involved father. And so whose agenda are you praying with? Yours or God's? Because prayer that carries authority always begins in Jesus' name with aligning our agendas and our hearts to his. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The Hebrew word used there for delight is a word that means shapeable, moldable, malleable. And so to delight yourself in the Lord means that we become moldable, shapeable. And it's in the shaping that our desires actually shift to become his desires. It's in the molding, it's in the the delighting in God that he shows us how shallow popularity is it's a change in our desires it's in the molding and the seeking and the desiring god that he shows us how ensnaring the love of money is and how frankly insecure it is it's in this surrendering to the shaper that we are shown what's truly important in this life and so the desires of his heart become the desires of my heart to pray in jesus name is to declare his victory over every area of life with his heart, his eyes, his posture towards the world in every moment. See, you're not Jesus. And for every single one of us, that is an encourage. You are not Jesus, but when you come to the Father in Jesus' name, you come clothed with the royalty of a king who won victory back for you on a cross. You see, what happens so often is when someone asks for prayer, whether it's culturally we're talking prayer or even individually, we'll often post on Facebook or often like kind of lob something like, I'm sending you positive vibes or I'm sending you thoughts and prayers and then we never actually pray for them. Right? How many of us show of hands? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to show hands there. But how many of us do that? I've done that. Pastor will go first. I've done that. Here's the thing. I'm sorry, but my life, has never been changed by a positive vibe or a, like a thought lobbed my way from a distance. But prayer, prayer shakes the gates of hell. Prayer moves the heart of the God of the universe. Prayer empties graves. Prayer shifts the foundation of mountains. Prayer turns sons, orphans into sons and daughters. Prayer lifts the humble and humbles the proud. 
Prayer moves the heart of God. If you are going through something, we are not a church that's just going to send you positive vibes from a distance. We are going to take that junk to the throne room in prayer and lay it before the only one who can do anything about it. Prayer changes things. And yet I want to ask you again here this morning, when it comes to prayer, what is the posture of your hands? Are they shaky? Are they doubting? Are they insecure? Are they, are they closed-fisted? Like, God, if you don't do this exactly how I want you to do that, according to exactly what my desires are, but I haven't actually spent any time aligning my desires to yours, so I'm just going to be mad and wave my fist at the air if you don't do it how I want you to, is it a closed fist? Are your hands up and perplexed? Like, what difference does it make? Or are your prayers open and available? Are your hands open and available? You know, I've been here at New Life for three years now. And I tell people it feels like 10 because of everything we've gone through the last couple of years. But man, this is a beautiful community where God is doing some stuff. And there is a prayer every single day that I have prayed since the day I got here. It's a prayer that I wake up with in mind. It's a prayer that I pray over you and over this community. And I believe this is a prayer that if you start praying this simple prayer, it moves the posture of your hands from whatever they might be into open-handed, God, do what you will. And the prayer is this, God, what are you doing right now? And where can I join in? God, what are you already doing in this community? And how can I join in that? God, in, in Jesus' name, what do you desire to do? What do you desire to cultivate? What do you desire to shift and change and transform? And how do you want to use me? How do you want to use us in doing that? And when you begin praying that prayer, not just over this church, but over this community, over your family, in your workplace, for your coworkers, it shifts your perspective. God, what are you doing and how do you want me to join in with that? See, that prayer takes the pressure off of you to prove anything. It takes the pressure off of you to begin with just your pressing need, but it actually says, God, what are you doing? And how can I join in with that? God, I'm not going to come to you with closed fists or shaky hands. I'm coming with open hands for you to do what only you can because you have given me an authority in prayer that always begins with aligning my heart with yours. See, prayer always starts with God. He is the object of our prayer. It's not my pressing need. It always begins with the Father and our desires that we express to God come out of that. And so I'd love as, as we close today to uh, just invite Trent uh, back up to the stage here, uh, the stage, the grass here. Uh, and uh, here's kind of how I wanted to close. Um, so as most of us know, it's Father's Day today. <laughs> and uh, I realized that that just drudges up a lot for a lot of people. And even as I've lived in this community, like I, I've seen a lot of absent fathers and families. I've seen absent husbands. And I've also seen incredibly good, godly men invested in the church, invested in their families, invested in just being like rocks in this community. Not because of anything they bring to the table, but because of their surrender to Jesus. And so here's how I want to close today is I want to just spend time praying over dads this morning. 
And uh, I was talking to some friends here in the church and I said, do you think it'd be weird if like I asked dads to stand up and we laid a hands on them from all around and prayed over them? And they said, yes, that would be weird. I said, perfect. That's exactly why we need to do it. And uh, so here's what I want to do. If you are a dad or maybe you are here and you fill the role of dad in someone's life, maybe you're a a single mom, maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you're a mentor over somebody. If you fill in some role, the role of father, I want to invite you just to stand up where you are. Just to stand up where you are. And yes, it's weird, but we love weird around here. And I want to invite the rest of you who are not standing, if you will, to find a father that's near you standing and just extend a hand towards them. If you're close enough, you can lay a hand on them, but just extend a hand towards the fathers. And I just want to spend some time, even this morning, as we're here in this park in the the middle of this community that so desperately needs Jesus. And we're going to pray over dads this morning. And uh, yeah, so I didn't even, yeah, so let's pray. (laughs) Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you as with the authority of a son, with the authority of a daughter, of the Most High God. And God, I I pray for the dads that are standing in this space this morning. If they're anything like me, there's days where they feel like they're messing their kids up more than they're helping them. There are days where they feel defeated. There are days where they feel discouraged. But then, Lord, I know there's also days where they feel on top of the world. They feel like they've connected with their kids. That they're doing something right. And God, this morning, I I pray for both types of days. I pray for for dads who feel like they are imperfect because no matter how good of a dad any of these guys are, they pale in comparison to the type of father that you are. And so, Lord, I pray that, that they will know and they will understand that the best possible thing that they can bring to their family above anything else is a vibrant relationship with their heavenly father. A relationship that heals and restores what's broken in their souls. A relationship that heals and restores what's broken in their past. God, I pray for for people here in this community who have lost fathers over this last year. Whose fathers they haven't spoken to in time. Lord, I pray for your nearness to be experienced by them in a powerful and a special and a profound way this morning. God, I also pray for guys who are on the journey to becoming fathers. A a journey that takes so much longer sometimes than our plans and our agendas and our desires would like to admit. Father, I pray that they experience your nearness. That they experience your presence and your love as a perfectly, intimately involved Heavenly Father. And so, God, I pray just for the men in our church. 
to be bold, to fall more deeply in love with you this coming year, to, to recognize and to learn that it's not their human strength that they bring to the table that serves their families or serves their communities. It is a heart that is postured and surrendered completely and utterly to you, Lord. And so it is in Jesus' name that we pray. And with Jesus' authority that we come to you, Lord. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.